Earlier this year, I experienced the awakening that provoked my addiction to the Western canon, uh, beginning the second semester of my sophomore year uh, with an amazing English teacher. I had a very good English teacher in the second semester of my sophomore year. Her name was Miss Sparks. I read Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, a dystopian novel in which the American society detests and burns anything that is not essentially instant gratification. Uh, the archetypical, the most normal kind of not being instant gratification would be the book for some reason. Um, once I began reading Fahrenheit 451, though, I fell in love with it. I truly fell in love with it. Love with it. Um, I love the protagonist, Guy Montag, uh, the storyline, and specifically Montag's early interactions with Clarice, um, who is Montag's wacky neighbor. I, I, I can't give away anything else, but some other crazy stuff happens uh, with Clarice or two. I'm not sure. Um, it was an amazing book, though. I think that the Clarice, I think Clarice, the story with Clarice probably was the reason I became so interested in the novel because it was, I've never seen a start like that. Um, and then I read 1984 and then I saw, and then I read how crazy 1984 is another one of those really good books. Fahrenheit 451 and 1984, are both incredible books. They end completely differently. They start completely differently. Um, but again, I, I became very inspired by Fahrenheit 451. And in the following months, I became so enamored with literature that I basically read every classic I could possibly read. Um, for example, I read uh, Sophocles Antigone and um, Oedipus Rex. So yeah, uh, John Steinbeck's Travels with Charlie and Grapes of Wrath among of Mice and Men, which I read beforehand. Um, Georgia Orwell's 1984, yeah, and Animal Farm, Arthur Miller's The Crucible, Leo Tolstoy's Anna Karenina, uh, War and Peace, I have not finished that yet, unsurprisingly, and The Death of Ivan Illich, I believe it's Ivan Illich, but it's always, there are eight different um, interpretations of that pronunciation. Uh, Plato's Five Dialogues uh, and The Republic, Charles Dickens' Great Expectations, A Christmas Carol and Hard Times, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, James Joyce's Dubliners and Finnegan's Wake, uh, Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis, Niccolo Machiavelli's um, uh, The Prince, Oscar Wilde's A Picture of Dorian Gray, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, and Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, and... Uh, I also read, let's see, Aristotle's Politics, um, goodness, I, I have to think about some of the stuff still, Ovid's Metamorphoses, I read that, um, I read some more fiction, I, I, I read probably 10 more books since I, since I actually gave this up, and I've, I've started really reading essays, I've really been reading Virginia Woolf's essays recently, partly because I have an essay-based class now, so that might be the reason. But I've really become, just overall, i become enamored with reading and truly just all reading in general. Um, oh, yeah, I read A Midsummer Night's Dream and the Aeneid along with uh, books I would wish to re read, like Oliver Twist, Crime and Punishment, The Brothers Karamazov, Aeneid, uh, not the Aeneid, sorry, um, The Iliad, um, 
Brave New World, As I Lay Dying, and The Sound and the Fury. Oh, I also read um, I also read Dr. Faustus by Christopher Marlowe and Venus and Adonis by William Shakespeare. They're just coming to me. Like, this is the thing. When it comes to reading with me, I've read 50 books this year, but at the same time, I don't remember all of them. Um, as is apparent, I am now addicted to literature, uh, and I, of course, intend to be so as long as there is a library or a Kindle near me. And honestly, not a lot. Not a Kindle. Not a Kindle. Library. A library. I go to the library very often. Obviously. <laughs> um, with my undying love for literature, I found it imperative that we explore the history of Western and some Eastern literature as a continuance of the history of art. So this adds three more episodes to the seven-episode series we did early on. And this will be the final series in this current build. And then we're going to be doing something different. We're going to be doing speeches. I want to work on my true oratory. I don't want to be reading. So we're going to do that. Um, in this short three-episode miniseries, we will explore another component of the Western canon, and that is literature. And of course, in these, in these three episodes, we will explore well-known literature and its rich history. To distinguish between writing and literature, we must examine the definition of literature. Literature is defined as and I quote, written works, especially those considered of superior or lasting merit. That's the Oxford Dictionary's definition of literature. There's great debate on the advent of literature, particularly because uh, writing... So, essentially, we developed writing long before... Based upon our definition of literature, we define literature as something... As literary works, written works, that have a, particularly, a particular merit that will last long beyond just the 100 years that they could theoretically have a time frame. Um, so if you don't understand at all what I'm saying there, because I worded it absolutely abhorrently, basically what I mean is, let's say you have the first writing ever. It's not necessarily literature, because it's not a literary work. If it's a code of law... Uh, like, I think it's the Hammurabi, the Hammurabi codes, um, the Hammurabi, the Hammurabi codes, um, those, for example, you could theoretically call it literature because it is a written work, um, sp that specifically has lasting merit. Uh, it's the first code of law, for example. That's pretty much the reason why, um, and truly, literature, we just, we just have difficulty discovering the advent, the exact advent, because we had been writing for a long time. I mean, technically, you, what, theoretically, what do you count as writing? I mean, if you count as a written language, we can talk about the hieroglyphics, for example. Those were quite old, but we didn't really get to literature until the first book, the Epic of Gilgamesh, came out. We didn't really get to literature until actually somewhat recently um and there is thus great debate over whether for example ancient sumerian writings are literature um and those because truly just written written records may not necessarily be literature because do they have less than merit beyond just the fact that they're the earliest samples of literature or of writing sorry that that's really the debate there 
As with art and Arctic, uh, agriculture, literature did not begin at uniform times around the world. Instead, the development of literature around the world did not occur at an even pace. That's a given. Uh, scholars cannot easily determine literature's origins because many key texts, such as those in the Library of Alexandria, of course, um, have been lost. Thus, like other fragments of high culture, many important works of literature were either destroyed or, again, lost. We can consider a few early works as the first stirrings of literature. The Egyptian Book of the Dead um, is one of the early texts. It was written in the 18th century BCE. Um, even the Epic of Gilgamesh, it's generally considered the oldest book ever written, the oldest surviving work of literature. Um, and even Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, these are Greek mythological stories that you may have read in high school. I know I did. Um, not quite the Iliad yet, but I had I did read the Odyssey when I was a freshman, um, which were created in the 8th century BCE and passed down for many generations. Um, and Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey engendered the period known as Classical Antiquity, um, the Classical Ages, of course, of ancient Greece and Rome. Now, think about that. The oldest literature is nowhere near as old as we are, and it's... Even the oldest, I believe Gilgamesh was about 2000 BCE. That's 4,021 years ago because it's 2021. Um, the thing about, even, even in terms of that um, piece of literature, we developed agriculture in 7,979 BCE, if you want to talk about 10,000 years ago. Um, so it predated, right? It, Definitely predated, um, are definitely significantly predated. Uh, literature did not predate farming and agriculture. A agriculture significantly predated um, literature and even writing in general. Um, and ancient literature was almost purely folk literature or scientific documents or poetry and royal declarations. Uh, most of it is lost, but some of it survived in the form of stone tablets, uh, papyri, uh, papyri, that's such a hard word to say, uh, palm leaves, and metal. Ancient literature, we're going to get into the topics now, the various sections uh, of literature history. Um, ancient literature encompasses literature from the advent of it, to the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 CE. This can include works produced by ancient China, Greece, um, Rome, and the Hebrews. Hebrew literature is almost exclusively the Bible, of course. The Bible's formulation began in the 11th century BCE, most likely, with subsequent texts and edits appearing in the following centuries, uh, likely until probably the 3rd century BCE. Many authors compiled and edited the Bible over eight centuries, and the Bible was almost undoubtedly not created with any divine intervention. I apologize to my religious viewers, but that is the truth. It likely was not created with any religious intervention. There is no evidence proving so. Um, not only is there no evidence proving so, there's, you could even say there's evidence proving not so. Um, but the authors of it are unknown, so we can't even really go as far as to say that it's not, because there is no substantial evidence proving 
that it was not created with divine intervention outside of just logic. Um, but really, even logic is not necessarily true. Even logic is inherently not true. So, yeah, it's possible. But the point is that it probably was not. It doesn't discredit your religion if you are a Christian, but it does potentially indicate that the books that the book that is extremely sacred to of course the western hemisphere and christianity may not have been a divinely um its hearth may have not existed in heaven but may have existed on earth instead a uh, greek literature is all literature created in ancient Greece and Roman-occupied Greece from the Iliad and Odyssey's creation uh, to the time of the Byzantine Empire. Uh, the jumpstarters of this literature were the poets um, of the archaic period that created the earliest written accounts of Greek mythology. Uh, these, Greek, these Greek authors and epics include Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, the Homeric hymns, um, a collection of 33 stories created by an unknown writer presumed to be Homer, potentially, uh, only because they follow a similar style, a similar almost poetic meter, a dactylic hexometer, just so you know, um, and Hesiod's uh, Theogony and Works in Days. Um, these early works through the epic meter, as I said, dactylic hexameter, or dactylic, it's dactylic hexameter to be specific, inaugurated epic literature, and cemented subsequent Greek literary tradition. Uh, from Plato to Aristophanes to Menander uh, to Archimedes, Greek literature had a profound influence on subsequent cultures. These were the hearths of classic literature. Uh, furthermore, Greek literature had arguably the greatest influence on even Western culture, even more so than the Bible and the Roman Empire. Um, because, first of all, the Roman Empire took everything from the Greeks. That's that's the reason why classical antiquity includes the Romans, uh, because for at least for the first few hundred years, until Constantine the Great made um, Christianity the official religion of the Roman Republic, until then... Until then, um, Roman culture was very intertwined with Greek culture. They basically took everything from the Greeks. And then they took everything from the Christian church. So, theoretically, you could say that it's arguable. It, 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 you can definitely detest it. You can definitely contest it, not detest it. Um, but truly, the Greeks had a profound influence on subsequent culture, specifically in the Western canon um, Greek poetry divides into three subsections, uh, epic, the epic, the drama, and the lyric. Um, Greek epics are poems that follow the dactylic hexameter, uh, which is the traditional epic meter. Uh, the founding epics include the Odyssey, the Iliad, and Theogony, and works and days. Um, ancient Greek lyric poetry originated from sung poems. Um, the individuals or a chorus uh, accompanied by a lyre, hence the name lyric poetry, sang lyrics poems such as those of Sappho and Alcman uh, to listeners. Again, I it might be Sappho, but I don't know. It, Greek names are not very easy to pronounce. 
Um, in the Archaic and Classical Ages, the festival Dionysia uh, dominated ancient Greek literature, or theater, sorry. Um, Dionysia was a festival run in Athens featuring theatrical performances from the three major Greek genres of drama. Uh, you see why when I went from poetry, we're going straight down to the many, uh, the most information in the subsection, which is drama, uh, about drama. Um, the three genres of comedy, or the three genres of drama were tragedy, comedy, and the satyr. Um, the Greeks invented and developed all three of these, uh, all three of these genres. Greek tragedy is believed to evolve, have evolved from ancient rites carried to honor Dionysus, uh, the Greek god of fruitfulness and vegetation, or I would just say the farm god, um, kind of. The Greek tragedy often emulated stories from Greek mythology, basing plots on Greek epics written during the Archaic period. Uh, Sophocles, Aeschylus, and Euripides uh, were the triad of Greek tragedians whose works have survived in full, some of which have survived in full, to be specific. A Greek comedy divides into three periods, old comedy, middle comedy, and new comedy. Uh, Aristophanes' practice of political satire, uh, sexual and bowel movement-related allusions defined old comedy. Yeah, that that's very, very mature comedy, right? <laughs> My goodness. Most of the surviving literature from old comedy um, are works of Aristophanes. Middle comedy differs from old comedy in that political satire and ridicule were virtually non-existent. Unfortunately, middle comedy has no surviving plays, though, and as a result, scholars are unable to reasonably determine the literary genius of middle comedy. Um, no new comedy began following the death of Alexander the Great in 323 BCE. The genre reproached public affairs and politics, uh, blending its plays with everyday life. The three foremost playwrights of new comedy were Menander, Philemon, and Diphilus, again, maybe butchering the Greek names. And the satyr play preserves some features of a tragedy, notably structures and characters, but creates a happy rural atmosphere in a tragedy, right? Interesting. Um, the best depiction of a satyr is to consider it a mix between tragedy and comedy. Uh, as Britannica said, a, and I quote, joking tragedy, end quote. Ancient Greek philosophy is probably the first quality of ancient Greece that comes to mind in the modern age. The great philosophers such as Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Diogenes, Anaximander, Anaximenes, Anaxagoras, Pythagoras, oh my goodness, Hippocrates, let's, I'm, I'm still thinking, what, did I say, Pyth I, I did say Pythagoras, um, let's see, Democritus, my goodness, you could keep going for the rest of your life and you'd still have many more Greek philosophers to go over. Um, they all had a great influence on Western culture. Now, the most notable of these philosophers were Plato, who wrote The Republic and the Five Dialogues, um, and Laws, of course, all of which contains Socrates' famous strings of inquisition and confusing strings of inquisition. Um, also Socrates, who is Plato's teacher and the philosopher behind many of Plato's works, and Aristotle, um, simply the most recognizable ancient Greek philosopher. That's obviously, he was obviously the most influential one too. 
Um, only five ancient Greek novels survive in full, though, because this is when prose fiction really just kind of took off, and not really, because they basically, they didn't quite invent it, but um, unlike the poem, unlike drama and philosophy, uh, the prose fiction or the novel, not necessarily novel yet, because the novel wouldn't be invented technically until the 1600s, um, prose fiction didn't really exist until... I mean, it wasn't really prevalent, and that's why only four or five ancient Greek novels survive in full. These are uh, Calirro, Lucipe, and Clitophon, oh goodness, Daphnis and Chloe, that one's easy, Ephesian Tale, and Ethiopica. Um, however, the genre began in the first century CE, making ancient Greek novels more a product of Roman, not Greek culture. There are virtually unlimited notable works emanating from the advent of Western high culture. The works of Homer, Hesiod, Plato, Aristotle, Aeschylus, Sophocles, Menander, Aristophanes, Archimedes, Plutarch, and Apollonius of Rhodes establish that essence of Greek literature. The first are Homer's works, of course. Little is known about him. Uh, he's the famed author, or even authors, of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, he was perhaps the most influential author of ancient Greeks, um, and his works resonated with ancient Greeks for millennia. Um, other than his potential historical association with the Iliad and the Odyssey, scholars know very little about him. Uh, he could have been many people, or even a woman, so truly, we are literally just calling him a man because we've always thought that Homer was a man's name, <laughs> basically. But no, it's more complicated than that. For over 2,000 years, we've been saying, okay, Homer is a distinct person, he's a specific person, um, and he's a man. Maybe it was just Greek prejudice, um, but we can't really determine that because we're not ancient Greeks anymore. Um... Homer could have flourished in the 9th or 8th century BCE, and he probably lived in Ionia, which is present-day Turkey. Um, the Homeric hymns are a 33-story collection of hymns attributed, often attributed to Homer. The stories are songs specifically written as adorations of prayers, and those are what hymns are. Uh, these were certainly not products of Homer, and not entirely at least. Even so, the Homeric hymns are Homeric because, as I said, they incorporate the dactylic hexameter, uh, which was both used in the Iliad and the Odyssey. Hesiod is the second semi-legendary founder of ancient literature. Uh, his known complete works are Theogony and Works and Days. Um... Why not just get to Plato? Plato alongside Socrates was probably the most influential philosopher of ancient Greece, specifically for his time. Uh, Plato wrote numerous treaties, uh, treatises sorry, and dialogues, including the Republic, a long dialogue on justice and political theory. He also wrote the Five Dialogues, a detailed philosophical account of Socrates' trial and execution. He died by being forced to have to poison himself. Um, and also the Symposium, a dialogue covering several extemporaneous speeches by a group of notable men, including Socrates, at a banquet. Perhaps the most influential story in the Platonic dialogues is the allegory of the cave. One, even my teacher when I was, my AP Lang teacher when I was speaking about 
the Republic asked me if I had read the allegory of the cave. I had not gotten to it yet, and soon after, I read through it. Um, this is basically a an allegory in which Socrates and Plato's brother, Glaucon, uh, discuss the effect of education and the lack of it on our nature. Um, of course, the cave is a reference. It's supposed to, uh, well, it's more of an analogy. It's supposed to kind of symbolize something else an allegory is a complete work or a specific narrative or anything in a specific um basically a passage let's just be more general a passage that essentially represents something else that symbolizes something it's a symbolic work in a way Aristotle, another philosopher, is perhaps the most recognizable name not only from ancient Greek philosophy, but from ancient Greece itself. He's known for devising the three elements of persuasion, ethos, logos, and pathos. Um, and in rhetoric, he created and defined um, these elements, which, of course, pathos, ethos, logos. Pathos instills the right frame of mind uh, by... Or, persuades an audience by appealing to the audience's emotions ethos is basically appeals to the writer's reputation or the orator's reputation and logos persuades an audience through logic uh, most of his surviving works are technical philosophical treatises and not for example his dialogues his dialogues are works the philosopher cicero you may know him he was a he was an ancient roman philosopher uh, consider, he considered them a river of gold compared to Plato's river of silver, which referred to Plato's dialogues. His most famous literature includes uh, Nicomachean Ethics, Poetics, Politics, I've read that, the Physics, On the Soul, uh, Rhetoric, and many others. Um, Aeschylus was one of the three foremost tragedians of ancient Greece. He was considered the father of tragedy, and he wrote many plays, including the Orsteus, Oristean Trilogy, and Prometheus Bound. Sophocles was another of the three foremost tragedians of ancient Greece, and probably the foremost of the three. Sophocles has one of the largest bodies of surviving plays, the most notable um, of which are Antigone, Electra, and Oedipus Rex. I've read two of those. Um, even with a large body of surviving plays, only seven of his over 120 plays still survive in their entirety. Uh, the foremost comedian of old comedy was Aristophanes, who really defined Greek comedy. Uh, with 11 of his 40 plays surviving in their entirety, he was most, the most well-known of the old comedy playwrights. Uh, because of his large body of surviving plays and his extreme popularity in ancient Athenian culture, um, he truly defines ancient Greek old comedy. And actually, they define specifically old comedy based upon um, his works. That is the definition. His works, his literary style. Like, seriously, imagine having a whole period of, um, of literature revolving specifically around your writing style. Pretty incredible, right? Uh, Menander was the best-known figure of Athenian New Comedy, a newer comedy compared to the old comedy. Almost all of his works are currently lost, but some, uh, notably Discalos, survive in whole. Uh, the Argonautica is the only surviving epic from Hellenistic Greece. Uh, it details the voyage of Jason and the Argonauts. You will read about it if you read 
probably I, I I can't remember if it's in the Aeneid, but you definitely read it. Um, in you unquestionably read it. You do read it in the Aeneid, yes, you do. Um, you do definitely read it in uh, the Metamorphoses. Um, the Jason and the Argonauts were a band of heroes in Greek mythology. Um, the Argonauts were those who accompanied Jason in his quest as they journeyed to find the Golden Fleece. Actually, mm, I don't, I, I can't remember. I can't remember. I didn't read the Aeneid in full, and I also read it in epic form. I only read a few pages of it, so I didn't quite actually finish it. I actually probably should get back to reading it, um, but I cannot remember. Uh, Apollonius of Rhodes was the author of Argonautica, and he probably wrote it in the 3rd century BCE. Um, and the last of the many notable works, and we could keep going for a very long time, uh, were the works of Plutarch. He was a philosopher, historian, biographer, essayist, and priest who was known for parallel lives, a detailed bibliography of numerous distinguished Greeks and Romans. Roman literature includes all Latin literature created in the Roman Empire uh, from 27 BCE to 476 CE. So, what is that? 503 years of time. Roman literature encompasses three eras. Early Rome, the Roman Golden Age, and the Imperial Period. There is a fourth era, Late Antiquity, but we will not carefully investigate it at all. Um, early Rome... Literature began in 240 BCE when Livius Andronicus, a Greek prisoner of war, uh, translated a Greek play and presented it to a Roman crowd. So basically translated it to Old Latin. Um, Andronicus also translated the Odyssey into the Latin Saturnian meter, kickstarting Roman literature. Uh, the first legitimately Roman literature began in the 3rd century BCE uh, when Nius Nevius, uh, compose an epic describing the First Punic War. While early Roman literature copied most Greek literature, the Romans did branch from ancient Greek customs. Uh, Cato the Elder and Gaius, 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 I'm not even sure, Lucilius, created new literary styles, such as incorporating political speeches into writing and creating new forms of poetry. The Golden Age of Roman literature occurred from 87 BCE to 17 CE. The period began with Cicero's first speech and ended with Ovid's death. Uh, producing a great body of influential work, Cicero, Cicero was one of the most important Roman authors. Uh, he wrote letters about ancient Roman history, uh, which provided a clear picture of the lives of those in the Rome's governing class. Uh, his oratory is the foremost Roman source for ancient theories on education and rhetoric, and his political treatises, his philosophical treatises, were the basis of Middle, Middle Age European philosophy. Um, not only that, but his speeches inspired many of the founding fathers of the United States, so he definitely had a significant impact. Um, the birth of Latin lyric poetry also began in the early golden age of Roman literature. Uh, two of the foremost early Roman poets were Catullus and Lucretius. Um, after the age of Cicero, Augustus Caesar, the Roman dictator from 27 BCE to 14 CE, extended the Roman Golden Age. 
Um, we like to say that the age of, well, the age of Augustus, not we like to say, um, encompasses the diamond age of the Roman golden age. So basically, uh, even stronger, whereas some of the most recognizable ancient poets wrote many of the world's most profound literary works. So like Ovid and, um, and Virgil writers like them. Um, also Horace, um, they were all incredible writers all of all of whom existed during this time and actually many of whom knew each other um in the episodes on baroque art we witnessed multiple sculptures describing stories from metamorphoses which is ovid's work um specifically apollo and daphne and the rape of proserpina who is also persephone also remember that rape in latin is a completely different thing from uh what rape actually is uh in modern day we define rape as basically non-consensual sex more or less more or less um but rape was more like abduction in that time because they never really raped persephone um following his deaths augustus caesar's death roman authors sought to create a new ingenious mean of literary expression uh, the era's notable authors include seneca the younger uh, lucin um petronius gaius valerius uh, Flochus, Statius, Silius, Italicus, Marshall, Juvenal, uh, Tacitus, Suetonius, Pliny the Younger, Quintilian, yeah, that was a name, Marcus Aurelius, and Apulius. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, you probably have heard that name. He was a Roman emperor, and he was also the writer of Meditations, a philosophical treatise that I hate. Stoicism is stupid. First of all, Stoicism is one of the dumbest um, philosophical methods ever. Like, one of the dumbest philosophical interpretations, or not interpretations necessarily, but um, ideologies or cults. Not really quite a cult. Uh, one of the really worst philosophical doctrines ever. Basically, yeah, don't have emotions. <laughs> don't. Well, you can have emotions, but don't let anyone ever hear about it. So basically, whenever you need help, don't ask for it. <laughs> Obviously, this is a gross rendition of uh, Meditations, but that is what I got out of it when I read it. It's obviously not that. Um, some of the notable works were the notable authors of the period were like Cicero. He wrote De Officies, Officies, oh goodness, On the Ideal Orator, Catiline Orations, and De Republica. Um, Lucretius was a revolutionary poet in the late Roman Republic, and he wrote De Rerum Natura, um, and Marcus Aurelius was a prolific writer in the time he wrote Meditations, of course. Ovid was another prolific writer, he wrote, uh, The Metamorphoses. Uh, there's also another set of letters that I wish to write, that I wish to read of his, but I cannot find them anywhere. Um, there's... Virgil, who wrote the Aeneid and Georgics, Georgics, Georgics. Actually, yeah, it's Georgics, I believe, because uh, I might just be messing up my Latin, but I probably am. Um, and then there's Seneca the Younger. He wrote letters from a Stoic on the shortness of life, on benefits and Thaistes. There's Pliny the Elder, who wrote Natural History, which is one of my uh favorites i've never read it but i do eventually plan to read it it's basically an encyclopedia that professed to contain all ancient knowledge obviously it didn't but it contained a significant amount of it 
Um, and then there are also the works of Horace, who is the final poet and author we will discuss in this episode, uh, who wrote Odes, uh, the most impressive lyric poem to emanate from ancient Rome. Um, Roman literature, while having a rich history, holds not really not a candle to Greek literature. Uh, the works of Virgil and Ovid, while my favorite, certainly do not seem to me to be better than the works of Homer and Hesiod. Combining a rich history of literature and my favorite ancient civilization, ancient Greece, creates a recipe for word count destruction. Of course, this chapter will be divided into at least, well, into three episodes. Anyway, thank you all for listening, and as always, have a good morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Take care, and stay curious.